we don't tend to elevate rarity over like the story of the card and the aesthetics of the card. I mean, we both love rare stuff, but it's not as paramount as it is for a lot of collectors. And it's not typically going to be the top thing that we're paying for as much as how it fits into the canon of card collecting, the beauty of the card and things like that. I mean, rarity is cool, but I feel like I kind of like to view things through the lens of history. And, you know, is there some reason why this is special, like historically, right? Not just because it was like, it was rare. This is Rough Cuts, a conversation among friends about the vintage sports card hobby with Nate in Cardboard Veritas and Matthew, 1956 Tops Guy, as well as everyone joining us on the Instagram live chat this evening, August 19th, 2023. Matthew, dude. Hey, Nate, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, man? Good, good. How are you doing? All right. Doing great. Thanks. Yeah, we're, uh, it's interesting because because I live in California, you live in Florida, and yet here I'm the one preparing for a hurricane. So that doesn't make too much sense, right? Yeah, that's crazy. Um, when when is that anticipated to hit you guys? So the current um, forecast shows us starting to get rain about um, about 10 a.m. tomorrow, and at least previously, like the the wind was supposed to be the strongest around like 7 p.m. tomorrow Pacific time. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I appreciate any advice on the hurricane preparedness from you. Rule number one, get the cards in a safe waterproof place. (laughs) (laughs) Any cards you have at home. (laughs) That's obviously the the most important thing we all have, the non-living thing we all have in our homes. You know, I'm really glad to see a lot of people joining in. Certainly encourage a lot of people to throw some stuff up in the chat and hopefully we can have a fun little discussion. But Nate and I have been talking for, oh God, it feels like at least a couple months about doing some kind of, you know, call it what you want content about, uh, about collecting cards. And, you know, it was really kind of driven out of our shared desire to like share our, our passion for collecting, especially vintage cards with the the bigger community and there are you know while people do kind of touch upon vintage cards and and a lot of kind of hobby content hey my dogs are barking guys uh, sure. um that you know it's something that you know we felt that you know we had something to add to the conversation and i feel like you know we have our chat with our own kind of uh our buddies where you know, that's for us hey guys that's a big part of our kind of you know, what we draw, what we derive so much joy from in the hobby. And we thought it would be cool to try to find a venue to share that on a regular basis. Right. And kind of have a little bit more of a free form conversation about the stuff that, you know, we find interesting about um, the hobby and especially the vintage side of the hobby and then kind of find a place to really share that passion that we have for it. Right. Yeah. Well said, man. And yeah, like you said, there are, you know, I think there are some guys that are doing a really good job in that area. Rob, you know, sports card therapist obviously has been, you know, doing a great job and I think kind of leading the charge in a lot of ways in the vintage content over the last couple of years. And we've both been on his show a lot and, you know, really enjoyed the conversations there. And Jeremy Lee does a really good job um, on the vintage side as well. Um, you know, but they both cover a lot of other things. And, you know, like you said, I, you know, I think just 
fun, relaxed conversations about vintage. We just, I think we both enjoy that when we see it. And a lot of times a decent bit of time passes between our ability to take in some conversations like that. And so we thought we'd have a good time doing it. And hopefully at least a few people would enjoy listening in. So um, I think the first thing we were maybe, you know, we talked just about a few topics here to to try to cover and we were going to chat bit about like kind of national afterglow. We got to spend some good time together there in Chicago. And I know to some degree it's been beaten to death uh, already in terms of recaps and all that, but well, we've had been away from it now for a few weeks and just kind of any final thoughts. So anything you had on that one? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, there's been so much conversation about this, but for me, th- this was my first national. So I've been, you know, pretty heavy card collector since about 2005. So it's a little bit shocking that, you know, I haven't been to a national. Um, and even I remember in 2005 going to like a Chantilly show and being like, you know, I'm not really a card show guy. That's just, I'm not much of, I'm not really keen on the transactions. I don't think of myself as a very good negotiator. And so I was always kind of like, you know, I don't really know if card shows are for me. And certainly, you know, the national had its fair share of like, you know, so many cards, which was just kind of overwhelming, but what certainly was cool about it was for me, at least it felt like I was at like adult kid, you know, adult camp for, for a week where just like surrounded by cards. And, um, well, the best thing about it certainly was meeting all of the people that I've interacted with online and knowing that there's this venue every year where, you know, it's very likely that we're all going to be able to be, you know, together again in person. Right. And, um, you know, just sharing the cards that we love, talking about the stuff that we saw at the show. And th- that really what I took was what I took away as the the most fun thing about it was getting to hang out with with people. And I mean, I didn't really buy many cards and, and that's totally fine with me. It was all about like the experience and, and hanging out with people. That was really what I enjoyed that- the most. What about you? You did end up with some cool cards, though. You you picked up your 41 play ball Joe D there, which is maybe the nicest copy I've ever <laughs> seen that person. I mean, that card is it's a PSA four, right? And it's like, you know, th- there just can't be a card more tailor made to how we collect. I mean, that, that thing is perfect, you know, so that, that was quite a start to the show. And then I know you got that great Diamond Kings um, Greenberg, mm-hmm. right? Nice card. Um and some other stuff. But yeah, uh, for me, and I know you would express, you know, some, you know, apprehension or uncertainty about the show stuff. And I think my, one of the things that's kind of crystallized for me is um, feeling like shows really are kind of like the thing for me. Like, you know, Mm. I've tried, um, tried and tried to make the LCS thing work. And locally and then when i travel and i i just feel like for guys that collect the way that we do it it's cool to go in them and to be you know surrounded by that environment but they're mostly i think designed for like you know the wax trade and the modern stuff Mm -hmm. and you know i mean i feel like going to a good show is the equivalent of going to like a hundred lcs's in a weekend you know (laughs) like in terms of the cards that you see and your ability to have conversations with people that collect like you collect. Um, So, I mean, not to just pit shows against LCSs. LCSs obviously serve a huge role. It's just not for exactly the part of the hobby that I feel like I mostly participate in. Even Burbank near you, like 
you know, that's a phenomenal place, right? Mm -hmm. When my son and I were out there, we went there and it was cool. It was fun, but like they just, you know, they're just not generally going to have many cards I'm interested in. And there's not a lot of vintage collectors that are there and stuff. So, but, you know, going to some of these shows like the national and, you know, um, I went to culture collision last year and actually set up there and, you know, had great conversations and sold a surprising amount of stuff there too. But, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to kind of make it a bit of a mission to start trying to hit some more of these shows like Chantilly and Strongsville and Philly and, um, Dallas, the, the other Chicago show, what is it? The Chicago's, but you know, yeah, like, okay. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to do all of them every year, but I just feel like that that is really where our people come together. It's where our cards come together. And well, the national can, you know, and some of these shows can be kind of crazy. It's like, it's the one opportunity to re you know, and obviously we all exist online a lot and we get mm -hmm. to interact a lot. And that's the best place to find the cards that we want because we can see like millions of them until we find the exact one that we want. Yeah. But like to have that in-person experience with the cards and with the people, it just, you know, it feels like shows are the place to be. So I, one, one of my goals going forward is to try to see if I can start hitting some of these other shows that I've heard great things about. So this was my third national. Everyone has been just phenomenal. And my son enjoys shows so much. So that makes it an easy thing for us to do too. So that was kind of my final thought that I've been having here over this last week or so. Yeah, that actually, that's a good point. It makes me think about something else. So, you know, one thing that was so tough for me about the national was I, I definitely viewed it as like, for me, it's hard to find the card I'm looking for. So if I'm looking for a particular card and I want to find it there, that's very challenging, you know, because, you know, it doesn't have a sort function. It doesn't have a search function that I can just <laughs> you know, type in something. You go, okay, there are all the cards, right? Um, but at the same time, I think what it offers that the internet doesn't is allows you exposure to things you didn't know you wanted, right? There's yeah. just so many cards there that, you know, you get to see things and you get, you get, you know, you're not looking for them, but things can find you. Right. And that's something that you don't get. That's very easily you can on eBay and other platforms, but it's that, that part of it was really cool. So, and then getting to see them in person and, uh, you know, getting to check them out up close in hand, you know, I was the nerd there with like the loop, you know, looking at stuff. Um, <laughs> so that part of it was really cool. And, and, um, I mean, I'm certainly planning to attend as many as I can in the future. Right. And, um, yeah, it was certainly was a blast for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'm I'm just scrolling through a few comments here. So um Zoom and Sports Card said excited to see what the 48 Leaf Jackie Auto goes for on Heritage tomorrow. Um Titty Sub said Jackie Auto ends tonight. Uh right, Heritage and Love of the Game ending tonight. Possible some of the Heritage cards. I'm not sure if they all end tonight or if some maybe end tomorrow as well, but huge auction night as well. Um yeah. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of the folks on here are watching cards and potentially bidding on cards. I think we're in extended bidding on both. I believe we went into extended on both at nine, nine Eastern. So um, I'm actually not in on anything tonight. I was thinking about being in on some cards, but I've, you know, one of the things at the national was I saved some money for a little bit going into that and then didn't spend it all. But post national with that money left over from the budget, I've kind of like now spent it all. <laughs> I kind of need to take a little bit of a break again. Um, um, TJ is online is online is online. Right. It says so true. Great point about LCS versus shows for vintage collectors and titty subset Philly's legit. 
So yeah, Philly, I've heard great things about for sure. Like yeah, Strongsville. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And then, um, Broken Curse Baseball, Grand Point, Matt learned. Yeah, had 33 Gaudi nap at the show, and it was super insightful. Had no idea how rare that card is. Where do y'all personally rank that in your vintage list? Great question, Broken Curse Baseball and Go Cubs, right, man? Um, dude, I think the, that that's a card that I think would be super cool to have someday just because of its, its, you know, the fact that it's this, it's this chase card, right? You could only get it. You know, it was basically the Gaudi gum company trying to pull one over on people until they got sued. And then they had the issue of the card, right? Um, so when you see them, you're like, holy crap, it's it's a Nat, it's a Nap Lajway, like 33 Gaudi card. Um, it's funny because if I remember right, I think it's in the 34 Gaudi design right. realm. Yep. But it's a it's a 33 Gaudi. I mean, for me personally, I would like to get one one day, but it's not super at the top of my list. I'd probably rather have like a T206 Lajway because like I just feel like I kind of know what league I live in, you know, right. in card collecting. And I don't live in a league where like a 33 Lajway is on the car in the cards for me. Same here. And if if for some reason I was going to step into that league, I don't think that's probably what I would throw down on. Right. I, You know, our good buddy, Jonathan Sports Cards and Sunsets really loves that card. And I know that's way up on his grail list. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one of the things for you and I is that we don't we don't tend to elevate rarity over like the story of the card and the aesthetics of the card. And with that Lajway, I think you're very largely paying for the rarity itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that, you know, that one probably for that reason, I mean, we both love rare stuff and, you know, it's great, but it's just not, it's not as paramount as it is for a lot of collectors. And it's not typically going to be the top thing that we're paying for as much as, how it fits into the canon of card collecting, the beauty of the card and, you know, things like that. So Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, one, one actually the way I view myself is like, I view myself really as on the demand side of collecting. Right. Right. Like, I mean, rarity is cool, but I feel like I get, actually, that's one thing I get so sick of hearing about um, when people talk about, you know, collecting cards and what you should collect and why, and that it's, it's so driven by rarity and like, I kind of get that, but at the same time, I kind of like to view things through the, like the lens of history. And, you know, is there some reason why this is special, like historically, right? Not just because it was like, it was rare. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there are more rare cards. I think, right. The plank is more rare than the Wagner, I think in T206, but the Wagner is the one that everyone wants. And that's because it's freaking Hannes Wagner, right? Like he's the best player, one of the best players of all time. And so, yeah, I, I try not to, yeah, like you said, I try not to let like the rarity drive my interest, but more, you know, the the aesthetics, the history and, and this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah, we're, we tend more toward the iconic stuff, maybe, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the cards that like everyone wants. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the Lajue, I mean, it certainly has an important place like the plank, right? And and mm-hmm. history of card collecting, it does have that going for it. But um, but yeah, it's a, a super premium for those cards, given given the rarity. But um, yeah. another thing that I think we were we were going to talk about was um, kind of, you know, things that have hit us recently in the hobby, like kind of good or bad, mm-hmm. um, maybe with. You know, obviously we're, we're trying to have a vintage focus on most of the conversation, but, um, anything come to mind for you on, on the good side to start that you've. <laughs> yeah. So like, um, 
I think recently, you know, one thing that like, I think I, you know, I feel, I think of myself as a very passionate collector. I love the hobby. And when I think about things that, um, happened recently, that kind of, you know, gave me the extra put, you know, that it, another push into like why I love this so much was, um, I, I, you know, like you just referenced, I, I picked up this really nice 41 play ball DiMaggio. Um, I bought it before the national and, and picked it up there. That that's you and I share the love of, of that particular card, right. um, that play ball, uh, Joe DiMaggio. And, and so I have, I had my PSA two that, that was also really nice. And so, you know, in order to free up the money to get the four, I wanted to sell that too. And I ended up selling that to, um, to a good buddy of mine, Justin, who goes by uh, full underscore in underscore NC. Um, he's mostly a modern collector, but he also collects some uh, vintage cards and ended up moving that Joe DiMaggio to him. And he, he liked it, but it didn't, he didn't like it as much as he thought he would. You know, I, I kind of checked in with him and was like, Hey man, are you loving it? And he's like, you know, it's cool, but it's not really, it's not really what I want. Mm. And so I, I kind of felt bad because I loved that card so much. I had actually searched for like more than a year to find that example. And so I was like, you know, I want to help you. I want to help you move this card, right? I think I can move it pretty fast with just the, the you know, the the eye appeal nerds that I know, you know, this one's going to get snatched up and was able to post it in some of the the kind of chat that you and I are both in. And and we ended up, um, I ended up finding um, uh, Maddie C., who, you know, most of us know as a, as a signed mantle collector, big Yankees fan, big eye appeal guy, right? He had a recently, um, I think he had a PSA 3 or 3.5 of that card that he ended up moving because he was buying that insane 1952 Topps mantle that was signed. Right. So he didn't have that 41 Joe D. Him being a big Yankees guy, he's like, I need that back in my collection. And so he ended up getting the card from Justin. And it was like... It made me like so happy to put those two things together, right? Um, and kind of keep that card in the hands of people who like love the cards, right? They weren't trying to like make a bunch of money off of it, but they know like how cool that card is. And um, it made me just feel like, you know, how cool the card community is that, you know, we have people that are interested in making sure that cards like go to good homes yeah. and, um, you know, it, you know, having a Yankees card that 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 I had at one point that is now hanging out with Maddie C's other mantles and you know all of his crazy cards. It's cool. It's cool to think that that my Joe DiMaggio is over there. And I just I love stuff like that. That's awesome. That was my happy positive. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Now that's a great example of like the best of the community, right? Like when we can work together like that to get cards into the right homes and when a card ends up with a collector and, you know, maybe he's not enjoying it as much as he thought he would to keep it moving until it finds, you know, the right spot is, is so cool. And, you know, you had and enjoyed that card for a long time. And now you have one that you like even better. And that card continues on its journey. And, and it's really cool that that can happen without it having gone into a couple of flipper hands, right? Like it's, yeah, one collector. Yeah. That's, that is, that's a really neat and like story. The, the friction of the fees and all the right. additional things that kind of like the marketplace kind of sucks out of the value, right? Yeah. Kind of removing that from the equation. I think that was cool. That was way cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So mine has been um, community driven as well as it usually is for us. So I have a couple cards I'm showing here. Um, 
Oh, nice. As I'll talk about this one, and I'm going to be posting these ones pretty soon, but I've been uh, this past week doing like a series of posts with my um, 1980s autographed cards, which is one of the sub collections that I do. You know, you could talk about a definition of vintage. I don't know if this is talking about vintage or not, but but we're getting pretty close. With this <laughs> that's 40 years old now. So, um, so, you know, I don't do a ton of like kind of true deep vintage autos, but I love collecting the 80s auto stuff. And, um, and you know, because it's kind of a way for me to connect to the stuff that I collected when I was a kid and to give the cards a little more significance and like the LT that I'm showing right there. Um, that was a card that I had as a kid and like, you know, pulled from a pack in 82, eight years old, I guess. I mean, I don't remember doing it, but it's always mm -hmm. been in my collection. So I know I did. <laughs> um, but I got him to sign that at the national a couple of years ago, which was a really cool experience. But the thing I've enjoyed this last week in posting all these eighties auto cards is, um, you know, the engagement with the community and like, there's so many guys that love the 80s stuff and it's been just so fun, like getting the feedback and having the conversations both, it, you know, kind of on the posts and then private conversations and stuff. And one of the cool things is I feel like it has really helped to kind of refine how I'm going about building this collection. Um, and, you know, got me thinking some more about, you know, how exactly I want to do it. And, you know, part of what I've settled on now, but, you know, I've known that I've wanted to cap the number of cards in this sub collection of 80s autos. And I decided to cap it at 85, which is the year that I really kind of went all in on the hobby. 85 tops was like the first stuff that I really started ripping. So um, I have currently I'm about the 40 or so 80s auto cards. And so my idea is to continue to kind of build and curate this collection until I get what I ultimately consider to be like the 85 cards that really sort of define that era of collecting to me. And one of the things that I've realized through it is I, I really love inscriptions. Mm. And, um, you know, in some of the conversations around some of the inscriptions that I've had on, on some of the cards, and I've been kind of going for those, but I think I'm going to really emphasize that going forward. And I feel like it, you know, a lot of the inscriptions kind of help tell part of the story and make the autos a little more interesting. And I know that it, you know, it does turn some people off who will just want the pure auto. Um, but for me, like I, I, I'm doing this kind of, I don't know, just purely for fun. And I feel like it adds an element of fun and uniqueness to each of the cards. And, you know, so that's, and I've had just kind of a couple more realizations largely built on some of the feedback that I've gotten this week. So it's been cool sharing and like hearing back and helping me with my collecting journey from, you know, from those conversations. So. Dude, that, that that's really cool so let me ask you um how did you settle on 85 so yeah 85 so because 1985 was the year that i went like all in on collecting ah so 85 from 1985 so 85 tops you know like i was ripping for dwight gooden so that 85 is kind of like a you know number an 80s number that has significance to me because mm -hmm. of that I was thinking a hundred before, but that felt almost like a little too many. And so I was finally like, do something in the eighties. Let me do 85 when I started. So do you have a list? No, I don't. I haven't quite gotten that far. I'm, I'm getting more and more focused. Um, some of the earlier stuff that I've gotten, I'm probably going to have to move. And I think it's going to be a process. I don't know. I'll, I'll probably still be working on, you know, we, we talked at the national to um, Publius 13, Chris, mm -hmm. about, his curation process with his collection and you know and he's 
I think built on ideas that some other folks have had. And, you know, with all of us, you know, the, especially with these sub collections that we have, it's, and I, you've, you know, you've talked and, and done some of this as well, but putting some constraints on ourselves, you know, is a really important thing. And so, you know, that's some of the things that I'm, I'm kind of trying to do here. Oh, I really like it. Yeah. I mean, I love one thing I wanted to add there is that I, I'm a big proponent of kind of like collecting projects, right. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, like defining some goals and thinking about, you know, what that is. But I also really love projects that aren't going to be completable in a short period of time. Right. right? They're going to take some grind to get there. Right. right. That, that makes it a lot more fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, ideally a multi-year project, right? Exactly. You want multi-year, man. I really love the autograph on, on both of those. I, Bird has such a good signature and I love when he goes big. With the right. big loops underneath, looks awesome. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, they they both have really nice signatures. Yeah, um, you got a question but, there from TJ is online. You want to take that one? Yeah. Uh, how are you doing with eighty four Fleer upgrade signed cards in that eighties project? E- uh, so eighty four Fleer update, probably yeah. right. Yeah, that's what he's using. Yeah, yeah. So that would be like the Gooden and Clemens and Puckett. Those are great cards. You know, I have not totally decided on that yet. Um, I have a little a little bit of an orientation against the traded and update cards just because I did a little less with those when I was a kid. I was mostly getting wax boxes and opening them. And so, you know, I feel like the updates to a large degree, you know, I've kind of become a little more aware of and done a little more like post 80s ripping. Mm-hmm. Um so, but that said, there are some really great traded and update cards. So they're definitely going to have a place in the collection. And some of the, they, I love the 84 Fleers, you know, all, all those key rookies that I just named are, are really awesome cards. So something I have to keep thinking about, I haven't made a decision. I don't have any of them yet. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I am on that. So, yeah. And then, so around, you know, other thoughts on the hobby from this past week, I, I know there was. One thing that that we talked about a little earlier in the week that um, maybe hit hit us from not not the perfect angle. Do you want to maybe talk about that topic? Or yeah, sure. So I mean, one of the things that was uh, tougher for for me this week is you know there was um um uh, I think I think you even see uh, Brent in here is you know he um the sports card therapist had a guest, deep value investor. I see him. Um, in the chat here. So that, that's awesome that he's here. I mean, I feel like um, one of the things that like was chal- a challenge for me this week was, you know, it, it, it's hard for me being such like, um, you know, joining the hobby just purely from like the collecting side. And, and, you know, my strong feeling is that, you know, the hobby, the place where the hobby can grow the most is by emphasizing that piece of it of, um, you know, connection to cards and, you know, what makes it fun. And, and for me, one thing that like makes it not fun is, you know, really kind of emphasizing like the investment side of cards. And, um, I feel like, you know, he was trying to tell a story of, you know, that, you know, from an investment point of view, you know, at a high level from an investment point of view, you want like the best of the best. And that that's where like the best investment is and kind of a, an unfortunate corollary to that argument 
right? Is that like the the cards that aren't the best of the best, you know, won't be won't be worth as much. And you know, a person might conclude from that that you know, if you don't have the money to like buy the best cards, then you probably shouldn't be in the hobby. And I think that the assumption there is that you know people are only in the hobby, um, you know, as an investment. Um, and I feel like the the place where I kind of get like munged up on it a little bit is that um, I don't think most people are in the hobby as an investment. I think that most people are in the hobby, well, I'd like to think maybe it's not true that most people are in the hobby because they like like the cards. That's why that's why they're here. And that I also feel pretty strongly that like. You know, most like quality cards that you get, especially these vintage ones, even if they're not high grade, you know, they're they're the demand on those cards is always high, especially for high eye appeal cards. And the likelihood that you're going to like lose your shirt on those kind of cards, I think, is very low. Are you going to like 10 exit and, you know, sell it and like put a pool in your backyard? You know, probably not. But I also don't think it's it's I think you used these words before as like a store of value. And I feel like that's a very that's kind of how I think of it. Right. I feel like, uh, you know, obviously some of these cards are worth some serious money and I don't want to, you know, you just want to throw that money away. But at the same time, I feel like if you've got a discerning eye and, and you know, you have a passion for these cards that probably there are other people that share that passion with you and that passion will like maintain the kind of at least a sustaining demand that will like at least enable the card to keep pace with inflation. Right. right? And I feel like um, the message that I would want to convey to people is that, you know, well, number one, like, you know, be smart about your money. Don't throw a lot of money into something that, you know, where if you lost it, you would, it would really seriously impair your ability to retire, for example. But that, you know, it kind of goes back to the collect what you like thing. And chances are, if you're collecting what you like, what you have a passion for, that there's probably a shared passion with other people and that will drive the demand. And I feel like I, I get really sick and tired of hearing about like the supply side of the argument and that the supply side is always what drives like the value of cards. And I would say that, you know, over the course of time, history has proven that to be not true, largely. If I think about all cards integrated since the beginning of time, um, I don't think that's true. I think it's demand is what drives it. Um, and so that that's a thing that I, because it's just so easy to talk about supply, especially when you've got modern cards that have like serial numbers or whatever. That's such an easy thing to talk about. It's a much harder thing to talk about demand. And I yeah. feel like I am much more interested in conversations about demand and why is there demand on this card versus that card? And right. I laugh about the rarity side. I think that's yeah. it's, it's yeah. too easy. It's kind of a dumb conversation in some sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You and I you and I share that in common. And yeah, good good points, man. And yeah, I mean, I I do think, you know, conversations about um stores of value and value do, you know, do have a place, certainly, you know, like you, I tend not to enjoy conversations about cards that are hyper-focused on the, you know, investment side. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess with the name Deep Value Investor, it's likely that that's kind of where it's going to go. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the, the other thing that kind of was a little challenging for me in it is, 
you know, he, I've seen him on other stuff before and he seems, you know, to really kind of generally, yeah, I, I don't think he collects vintage. I'm not aware that he does it all. He, and seems to think that there's sort of a vintage bubble and in particular kind of in the area that we tend to focus on, or at least that's one of the, the vintage bubbles that I think he's cited, which is, um, kind of lower grade, high eye appeal stuff. And, you know, maybe it's worth pointing out, sorry to interrupt, that yeah. it's, it's not just him who's saying that, right? Like sports card investor also, you know, recently made the same statement. Yeah. And anything that does well as compared to, um, you know, as compared to its peers, there's always uh, can be theories that it's about, you know, you don't know if it's a sustained change in the market or a bubble until, um, you know, until further down the road, just like signed vintage obviously has way outperformed. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, n- probably numbered modern cards over the last couple of years have uh, outperformed, um, you know, certainly base and, and other parallels. You know, there th- those things, you know, you could argue with any of them. I think that, you know, there there are bubbles, um, you know, and it's so it's it's hard to tell. And I think it's hard for someone who doesn't really participate in that space to, um, you know, to, to kind of take those positions. I, I mean, they can, I guess, but, uh, you know, the, the expectation of some pushback certainly I think is fair. And then the part of it for me too, is I feel like the, you know, there's talk of it seemingly like kind of trying to cloak those theories and some finance mm-hmm. and the economics mm-hmm. around Pareto and 80, 20 rules and, um, you know, collect the top 1%. But, you know, I didn't see a lot of definition of like what it means to collect the top 1%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the examples of uncollectible stuff, I think for him was what I have on my shirt, right? <laughs> that we like a lot. Um, so, you know, but if that's not a top 1% card, I, I don't think one exists. I mean, I know the population, they're higher, but you know, PWCC recently did their um, their top 100 most iconic cards of all time. And the Gaudi roots came in fourth, right, out of mm-hmm. all the cards ever made. Right. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of it's definitional and under his definitions, collecting Manny Machado or Nolan Arenado numbered cards is means collecting top one percent seemingly. But Gaudi roots doesn't. And so that that just feels like either a misapplication or a somewhat random application to ultimately end up at the spot that you're trying to end up by coming up with a theory that it just I, it just doesn't seem to connect to me. So those were some of the elements of it that I wasn't super excited about. I saw him when he was on um, the Jeremy Lee show as well. And I, you know, I think it was kind of similar impressions that time, but I watched pretty much all of Jeremy's hit yeah. and Rob shows. And so I've, I've seen him on both of them. It is interesting that that he's in here and certainly, you know, welcome to any comments or a discussion with him at some point or whatever. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think we had some yeah. some similar takes on that. Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, too, another thing is that, like, you know, my, I'm a physicist. Like, that's my job. Right. I have a Ph.D. in physics. Like my whole life is like quantitative. Right. And so, like, when I hear arguments like that, I immediately want to be like, OK, let, let's like write this down like let's look at the numbers right. of these things and like does this make any sex and so like yeah let, like, let's really define the theory not just like kind of put out some fairly high level statements and then apply it in a way that suits the way that i collect like otherwise you know 
maybe don't couch it in terms of a theory and, you know, an, an 80, 20 rule, but then collect the top 1%, but then the 1% is Machado and not Ruth. Like, I just, I don't know. Like what, I just don't see like how it all connects really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's like, I think what I just would want yeah, people to understand is like, you know, I think the argument of like, you want to collect the best, like that, that makes a lot of sense to me, but I think trying to draw like a hard cutoff of like, what is the best and what's not, it's kind of stupid. I mean, it is kind of like, it makes, it puts, it, it puts the hobby and thing in a bad light that that's really, it's really undeserving actually. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of like a, a bummer for me, but maybe let's, let's turn the conversation to the fun stuff. <laughs> you had said that you had kind of, we kind of, I had talked about like a cool selling story for me. I yeah. think you had some recent experience on the selling side as well. You want to share that? I did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the main way I usually sell is through like I, my own eBay listings and my slabs listings. I haven't really used auction houses before. Um, like I mentioned before, I set up at Culture Collision this year and actually like I didn't bring a ton of stuff, but I ended up selling, I don't know, like 20 grand worth of cards, which was a lot more than I expected. Oh, wow. Honestly. Yeah. That's crazy. Was, I mean, it was crazy. It, it was really interesting, you know, and it, mentioning going to shows like it's something that um, I, you know, I'd like to set up at more shows, too. It's really interesting to be on that side of the table. And it was, um, you know, in some way when you're selling in some ways, you know, it's 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 kind of cool. It's a little affirming for the stuff that you collect, right? When it's, you yeah. know, blur and like people really like it and, you know, they're coming by your table or, you know, you list it and it sells fast or whatever. Um, but yeah, I tried something, um, you know, different at the national, I dropped off a, a couple cards with Probstein at the end of the show. One was mine. And, and then one was my son. Mine was a 48 leaf Jackie and my son dropped off a Clemente rookie. And, um, you talked about a pain point, you know, and you, with your selling experience that you were able to avoid, which is the high fees in the hobby. Yeah. Right. Which yeah, typically vary from like 10 to 20% kind of net fees. And Probstein has a great deal right now where I think it's every card over a thousand dollars. And I think I shouldn't say right now, cause I think it's permanent. Um, his fee is 5% and that's that's it like there's no hidden charges and whatever it sells for you get 95 percent of it and so we sold those cards it was kind of fun like to have some cards auctioning um you know watching them throughout the week and you know how they worked up um my son ended up doing great on his clemente it really kind of outperformed his expectations my jackie fell a little bit short of my expectations but i don't know i may may have overrated its eye appeal a little bit and <laughs> um but, you know, it was a really good experience overall. The check is on its way now. I'm expecting it to be here um, probably on Monday. And, you know, just I, I think that um, if um, my hope is that by him really kind of leading the charge on this 5% thing, and I'm hoping he like just a massive, m massive market share, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I'm hoping he just, you know, kicks all the other guys' butts <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> Right. Like take it all from the auction houses that are charging me 15 percent. Make them respond like that. That is classic competition. I just don't think it should cost 15, 20 percent for us to sell a card. It's too much pain. And it's you know, it's one of the main things in the hobby that I just feel like has to be better. Like it just can't be that inefficient for us to 
to be able to to move cards. So yeah, that you know that pushes us to try to do like you know you did with your Dimaggio and move them mm-hmm. among collectors. And you know certainly you're you're tremendous at that. You know and have a, a great network and you're great at finding cards and finding cards for your friends, which I've benefited from many times. Um, and so I guess the high fees are good in that they force us to do that. But you know Probstein. I love what he's doing there. And then, um, you know, and then I love too, and I, I mentioned this on, on Instagram a week or two ago, but, you know, he puts like a lot of his profits back in the hobby. Like, he, I mean, he bought his collection is insane. And I know you, you know, we were at his booth at the national together and, you know, the cards he has are unbelievable. So I was dropping these cards off with him at the end of the show, these couple cards and, he just like, you know, kind of casually put them over on the table. There was all this commotion and I was like watching him. And I was like, man, you're just going to leave my cards right over there like that. And, and he had just packed up his like his 30 Jordan PSA 10 rookie and all this other stuff. And he was like, trust me, they'll be fine. He said, you see that um, trunk that just walked away that had 30 million dollars worth of cards in it. So trust me, I know how to take care of cards. You'll be all right. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, you know, but it's kind of cool that that's what he does. Like he just, you know, he he's selling. And so I, I like, there's issues with, you know, people talk about him being permissive on shilling and I don't disagree with that, but, um, but I think he's doing a lot of cool things. So that, that was a good experience. That was cool. Well, I mean, I remember that was one of my highlights of the national actually was seeing the, the red portrait Ty Cobb with the Ty Cobb back mm-hmm. being that car like in, in person and like, you know, him taking out the case and showing it to us. That was right. That was pretty awesome. No, I got one of one. Yeah. Right. That was that was pretty doggone cool. So yeah. Um. So broken curse baseball asks a really interesting question here, or, or makes an interesting comment. Um. When we after we were kind of talking about the investment side of things, he says, "I agree with everything said, but I feel like popular vintage has a high cost of entry as a whole, keeping most folks in the modern space." And I think that that is something that people often talk about is that, um, you know, the vintage cards that that you see on Instagram all the time are just are really expensive. And I guess, I mean, I, I I would like to say that I I don't necessarily, I understand that there are a lot of expensive cards, but I actually think that one of the cool things about vintage is the fact that, um, you know, even a lot lot of these classic cards can be had for pretty inexpensively, Um, you know, on the scale of, on the scale of like a hundred in the, in the range of a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, there's a lot of really awesome cards. And the other thing I would add to that is that, um, you know, if, as long as you kind of maybe take your emphasis away from the rookie car, you know, there are a lot, a lot of great cards that you can grab that, that aren't rookie cards that look fantastic. And then you couple that with not needing the PSA 10, and being able to live with the PSA three, and then looking at all the examples and finding that needle in the haystack—that's that amazing high eye appeal three that looks like a six. That that that's like, I think that at its core is the coolest thing about vintage. Is there's there are ways to get really awesome vintage cards for not that much money if you have the patience and the and the time to kind of dig through things, and you're also willing to say like. Maybe a 54 Aaron is too expensive for me, even in a PSA 2. Why don't I look at like a 56? You could probably get a 56 Hank Aaron and a PSA 3. I want to say you could get that for around like 100 bucks. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And um, I think that that, I mean, that that would be my, what I'm trying to proselytize here a little bit on the vintage side is that, 
you know, it's cool to flash up the Ruth and the Gehrig and all this stuff. But you think even if you think about 33 Gaudi, right, there are Hall of Famers in 33 Gaudi that you could get in a PSA three for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point, man. And I mean, look no further than your guy, Ernie Bennett. Yeah. And what a just beautiful catalog of cards he has. And if you get past the rookie card, like you can you can get nice looking copies of all of them for probably under a hundred dollars. I mean, the fifty five maybe you have to spend a hundred to two hundred, mm-hmm. but everything else you can probably get in double digits. Right? Yeah, and actually, I, one thing I would say is that one of the key um, like transition points in my like hobby lifetime was this was this must have been in I would say like twenty seventeen or so. I had I had a Mike Trout like. Um, 2018 Tops Update Gold PSA 10, which is a really nice Mike Trout card. And it ended up getting pretty expensive, like pretty high in value. And then I started looking at that number, like how much I could sell it for, and just asking myself, what could I get in in a vintage space for that money? And at that time, the answer was a 33 Gaudi Babe Ruth. And yeah, in my mind, that blew my mind. I could get like a 33 Gaudi Babe Ruth that didn't look like it was hit by a bus you know it looked really nice for the same cost as a 2011 tops update mike trout and i mean mike trout oh, he's a great guy but like all of the value was in the psa 10 and right, so right. you know i was able to sell that card and then move it into some of this other stuff and it was like it literally like blew my mind that you know that you can get really nice really nice vintage cards for comparatively similar prices as some of these really high end or maybe not even that high end of modern cards. Right. Yeah. Great point, man. And Mr. K cards adds 1956 top spawn and a seven white back $200 ish. So that, I mean, that's the other approach is to pick some guys that like either their story resonates with you or they're on your favorite team. You know, they played for your favorite team or hall of famer, you know, and a, a couple, you and I, I think, share some and, and many of us do but spawn is a great guy yogi berra where yeah. can't uh, like those guys have just phenomenal beautiful cards that you know can be had you know i mean you can get a tremendous collection of any of those guys for a total of a thousand dollars right yeah like if you think about even like hank aaron i mean freaking right. hank aaron like if you're not looking at the rookie card i feel like a lot of his other cards really aren't that expensive expensive especially like 60s hank aarons a lot of those look really nice they won't kill you right look at it mr um mr k cards also says 57 clemente psa 5 250 bucks you know you can go and spend immensely that that money on a quarterback right (laughs) Right. yeah like a modern quarterback easily 250 bucks right yep for sure for sure all right man well so i think we were gonna maybe show a few cards next right um and i think you know, one of the things that we love doing is um, is holding the the raw cards. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start with with some raw vintage cards. So you want to have the first crack at it? And my beer is actually running low, so I'm going to miss the first thirty seconds or so because I need to go go grab a new one, and then I'll be right back. Sure, sure. Sorry. Right. Good. All right. All right. So this is cheating a little bit, and um, it's good that maybe Nate Nate's not there. So this isn't exactly. Um, vintage, right? This is a 1984 Tops Don Mattingly. Um, this card I've been in love with, and one of the reasons I'm in love with it is that um, a highlight memory for me from this national 
was Nate and and I and a couple other buddies. We all got together and we ripped a bunch of 80s wax in the hotel lobby of the Hilton late on, um, I think it was a Saturday night, I think, when we did it. Yep. And um, and I was the lucky one to pull the the Don Mattingly rookie from, uh, there we are, Chris Publius 13s in the, in the chat. <laughs> I, um, yeah, J-Rock 19. Is there too? Yeah. 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 We got most of our crew here. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, th- I mean, I got to, I really have to, I don't think, I mean, the centering is a little bit off, but I'm getting this card graded just because I want to encapsulate the memory of of the grand party that we had uh, making a big, you know, rip and wax like we were backyard breaks in the in the Hilton lobby. And I remember when, when I pulled this guy, you know, the great roar that we let out. Um, yeah, that was out. so fun. Yeah, so fun. So not exactly vintage, maybe depends on who you're, how old you are. But um, this was the the raw card that I thought I would I would share. And I'm super pumped about it. And uh, yeah, fresh out of the pack, Downey Baseball. There it is. <laughs> nice. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, and that was definitely one of the big highlights of the national for us that that night, rip and wax. And I know, uh, I know, we're already talking about round two next year in Cleveland and starting to scout appropriate boxes yeah, that's, to uh, that's right to be able to rip. So yeah, that that Donnie baseball was was uh, what what would you call that the the break hit uh, <laughs> national yep. for our first inaugural. Jim said my Admiral Hoops rookie is at PSA now as a memento from our rip. That's awesome. I love it. And I know Jonathan um Sports Cards and Sunsets, he's uh he's getting his Daryl Strawberry rookie graded as well. Right. Um so yeah, I have a I have actually two of them here that I'm gonna show. Uh oh wow. Let's see. Oh wow. So um I was uh I was recently going through my um my childhood vintage collection again and believe it or not these these both hail from that so wow yeah i was and you were talking about hank um just before and you know the affordability this the 55 i i've loved the 55 set since i was a kid and you know i actually you know kind of focused on with my dad on collecting some of those and i was fortunate you know my my sole focus in the 80s well not soul focus but my primary focus and probably would have been my soul focus if not for my dad's influence would have been the Mattingly's and Goodens and Canseco's and Will Clark's and Wally Joyner's and Andre Scalaraga's <laughs> and Fries <laughs> and then Santiago's and all those guys um so you know, but my dad, fortunately, you know, he grew up a Yanks fan and and big time, you know, baseball fan and kind of he collected the modern stuff with me, but also steered me toward and started my love for vintage. So um, this like, you know, part of and these cards were cheap, at, you know, like going back to the wow. 80s, they were I'm sure each of these was well under 100 bucks at that time. And, you know, I went through a big stretch during that period where, you know, it was like probably a lot of us did where it's like you know the only thing i wanted for christmas and birthdays and you know when i would save up money from mowing lawns or whatever like it was all going into sports cards and so these are a couple that i was just sorting through recently that um you know that ended up kind of making it into the collection as a kid and you know one of the great things that you know we talk about with the raw stuff is you know just being able to pull them out 
and hold them, right? Mm-hmm. Like get your hand on this old Ted Williams. And I mean, it's got, you know, it's got a little bit of a crease there. It's got some facial wear. It looked really good from like four or five feet away, but <laughs> you know, like it, it's got, it's, it's seen some, uh, some play and some action here through the years. Um, <laughs> so cool. Orders are, you know, <laughs> they're not awesome, but, um, you know, but it's really fun. And I know it's something that you and I and a lot of our good vintage buddies enjoy doing is, you know, pulling these things out and having a chance to hold them. This one is what, man, that's actually some fairly difficult math from 54, um, 69 years old, I guess. Uh, right. So, um, yeah, just cool to be able to, you know, pull them out and hold them. And so, you know, and for me with raw vintage, I'm usually willing to, you know, go up to, I don't know, three, 400 bucks. And I, I like to, you know, keep some in, um, you know, in, in nine pocket sleeves and, you know, certain top loaders and all that, but it's cool to be able to sort through them and, and pull them out and not have everything in the slab sometimes. That's awesome, dude. That's so cool. Gives that classic library smell, I bet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yep, for sure. Um, All right. So we, I think we're going to chat about um, maybe want list next and anything that, yeah. yeah. Maybe you want to, you want to, you lead off with that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So there's a few of them um, that I've been after and that, you know, and I, I think, you know, we share this. It's like, if you... I think guys that that don't collect the stuff that we do, you know, one one of the things to get accustomed to is, um, you know, you feel like you look at a population report of, you know, this card, for example. And I actually I, I kind of I want to get a little nicer copy of this as well to to go with this one. Um, you know, I plan to keep this one certainly forever, but, you know, that card and then this one as well, um, which actually looks pretty nice too That's from there nice. but yeah it's centered well most most of the stuff i have from when i was a kid is really <laughs> terrible so this is a pretty rare one but um you know it's tough for us like we these cards like my clemente rookie which probably i, I haven't looked at that population in a while but it probably has a pop of six or seven thousand i think it took me like two and a half years to find the copy that i wanted yeah. you know like low grade high eye appeal centered stuff is is tough and so the the ones that I've been looking for that have eluded me now for a while and that I was looking for at the national and that continue to elude me are um the T206 Walter Johnson portrait, um the 47 tip top bread yogi, which is I think considered kind of like an XRC before his 48 Bowman rookie card, and then the um the 52 Bowman Willie Mays. And that 52 Bowman Maze, man, that I've really come to discover what a tough, tough card that is. Um, and, you know, sometimes with some of these cards that are almost impossible to find in really high eye appeal and low grade, I, I feel a little more of a compulsion to kind of go up a, a grade or two. Like, mm-hmm. I might have to get a five of that. You know, I, <laughs> a lot of these cards, we can find a really nice one in a three, but some of them, it's just like, it's just too tough and you got to actually, you know, go up a little bit. So the Walter Johnson's another one up, you know, that's a card that's been top 10 on my list for probably at least three years. And I've come close on several, I've bid on several, I've been shown many, and I just can't find that like two and a half, three, three and a half that both, 
you know, is the right eye appeal example of the, you know, that yellow background has to really pop. Um, this, the registration has to be good, at least decent centering and, and a clean surface. And, you know, just haven't found that one yet. So, though, you know, that's been kind of my experience with, uh, with some of the cards on my want list. How about you? Yeah. I'm, I mean, it's so, I mean, some of those cards that you rattled off, especially the maze, just it's tough, man. I had one of those, right. I had one in a six, um, that I ended up moving, but it was like pretty off centered and I kind of like fell out of love with it, but I know I still have it on my search list and I still look at it and man, the registration and centering on that card, is tough. Anyone, right. tell, anyone tells you that vintage is easy because it's high pop, they're smoking something. They haven't looked at these <laughs> cards because right. it, yeah, it's easy to find six. Is it easy to find a six that looks good? No, right. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Um, a little bit similar for me on the wantless side. So, right. I, um, in the big mantle trade, one of the cards I got rid of was my, um, my T206 Cobb. It was a red portrait. And when I got rid of it in that deal, I was like, okay, the Cobb that I want is the, the bat off. That's the one that I want. And man, I'm just having a heck of a time finding right. a bat off Cobb that's kind of around, yeah, like a two and a half to kind of three in a price that's reasonable that has like the registration and color that I want. And, and I feel like I'm going to be looking for that card for maybe the next two years, just how hard it is. And I'm, cause I'm so, I'm very particular about registration and on that card, it's like all over the place. Right. Um, and trying to find one that's like, I thought actually had, there was one that just sold at REA. They had like four in that auction. And, um, there was a PSA three that I was really keen on. And then of course, like, you know, I start looking in the zoomed in scan and I'm like, it's not it, man. It's not right. It. It's not good enough. Yeah. It's not good enough. But then you're, you know, super tough on registration too. I just, I feel like that's the thing that just drives me crazy. If I'm looking at the card and it's just like a little bit blurry or I know that it could be a little bit better. Right. It's kind of hard for me to like, let that go. So that's the card that's at the top of my want list and it's been there since the beginning, you know, since the trade. And, um, I don't see it coming off anytime soon. Um, yeah. another big one is like a silly one, which is a 1956 tops Bob lemon. So I have that card in, um, in a raw version. I've been looking for like a PSA six or PSA seven for gotta be like two years now. I'm just looking for one with that, you know, dead centering, um, you know, decent corners. And it's just, it's brutal, man. It's tough. Right. It's like, it's a grind. So every day I'm checking my blue dot, you know, looking to see, and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. You know, and my eye just immediately like, you know, assesses the, you know, takes a look at the grade, took a look at the card. And I'm like, nope, not the one, not the one. Keep it moving. So, yeah. yeah. That's that's another one on the list. You don't said, see it coming up. You said that one that would be that's for your fifty six set. Yeah. So I'm I have one in I'm I'm do I did this thing where when I built the set, I got at first everything was raw. And then I got like the top tier Hall of Famers graded. And then I went through a process of upgrading the top tier Hall of Famers, um, both in grade and ideal. And I'm kind of, this is, I'm kind of dipping my toe into the set registry. And one of the set registry things I'm doing is the 56 tops hall of famers. And so there's a few of them that I don't have them in a PSA slab, 
there's like I'm down the last like two or three, and Bob Lemon's one of them, and yeah, it's just looted me. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, tough one. Yeah, tough one. Like you said though, the, those long term projects are fun. So we we suffer trying to find the cards, but it's also it's the joy of the chase as well, right? Yeah, that's what keeps us here, and it's also cool to be able to like share it with other people, so that you know you've got your buddies like looking out for you, like they know that you know when we were at the national, like. You know, we like Jonathan and I were sending you all the messages for every T206 Walter Johnson portrait that we saw, right? Mm-hmm. That that makes it fun. It's fun to like not o- always feel the pressure of finding the cards for yourself. It's a lot more relaxing when you're looking for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You well, you're you're definitely the resident maestro in that. <laughs> you find your buddies a lot, a lot of great cards. So. Um all right. Uh yeah, so I think we were we were planning, you know, obviously a big vintage focus, but we and and I think, you know, most of our buddies that we talked to all collect some modern stuff as well. So I think we were each going to show a modern card that we've, um, you know, either recent pickup or a card that's been, you know, kind of a uh, focal point for us recently or whatever. But you, you have one you want to share? Yeah, I have one. I mean, I'm going to just so I don't have to like hold the card up. I'm going to rearrange my setup here a little bit for a second. Yeah put this down a little bit lower so this is this is also a little bit of a little bit of a cheat we'll see if this works here i turn it around so the modern card that i got here is this really cool custom art card that i got at the national so this was what i think was the coolest cubs card at the national by a lot so this is a custom art card that was made by card artist named the card carver. And this dude is legit awesome, man. So I had seen this card posted um, on Instagram before the national with him saying that he was going to have it there. And I basically was like, you need to sell me this card, man. Because <laughs> right. there's so many, like if I were to design an art card, it would look exactly like this. So you've got like the 1956 style border and name. Then you've got uh, you know, two cutout kind of images of Ernie Banks. One of them is the same image that um, Ephus Pitch has in my logo for Instagram. This one right here on the right. Um, I've got Wrigley Field in the background. So it's like a booklet card. And then on the other side, you've got, again, um, 56 tops kind of style border and name. Actually, the, the other side was 55, pardon me. So this is 56 top style. And then he's got like this old school patch of the Cubs logo inside the card. And then the other big piece of it is this cut autograph of Ernie Banks with his little image down there with the God bless Ernie Banks, Chicago Cubs. And I just, man. And then the last piece is he took, um, looks like here's 72 tops Ernie Banks, the back of it which shows you all of his stats from his career. You've got the signature of the the artist and then the one of one. And like, this just, this thing is perfect for me, man. It's just like, so cool. Um, so that's my modern card. And I'm just like over the moon with this thing. You're, so much fun. You're 20. That's ultra modern, man. Yeah. The 2020 Ernie Banks, man, that thing, that thing is brilliant honestly like so much thought and intellect and planning and like care went into the creation of that card that i mean 
that is, and like you said, it's it's just so perfect for you and your collection, man. That what what a great thing that that has found a home with you. Yeah, man. It was like I felt like when I saw it, I was like, this thing was designed by me. Right. It, it felt like it was designed with all the things that I wanted. So, and he's like yeah. such a nice guy, and it was um, so cool meeting with him. And he's got like he's got a lot of other really cool. His name's Tim. Um, yeah, the card carver is his Instagram account, and. Um, Love yeah. that card, man. So fun. It was designed by you if you were an artist instead of a physicist. Yeah. If I had like any <laughs> skill at all, like this sort of thing. Same. I'm, I'm a great appreciator of great art, but definitely not a great creator of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm really curious to see what this is going to be a surprise to me. What um what you brought here for your modern card. Yeah, sure. So I um one of the modern little kind of modern things that I do is I, I like I um I really like the Topps Chrome basketball uh stuff uh from the late nineties and and two thousands. And one of the things I've collected a decent bit of are the Kobe and LeBrons from mm. them. So one of the Kobe's that I've been after for a long time is uh is this is the two thousand seven Topps Chrome refractor. I think it's just, you know, really cool image of of Kobe kind of going in for a reverse layup. And I, I think these cards are, you know, just really beautifully made. So and, you know, I when Kobe played, I, I wasn't sort of the hugest fan of him and his style of play. And, um, you know, he I was, I was a Magic Johnson fan growing up. Mm-hmm. Kobe's style was just, you know, very kind of different from that. Um you know, true kind of alpha shoot first kind of player, mm-hmm. but I'm to appreciate him a lot more. And I, I think he's, um, you know, like just watching interviews, watching him talk and what a, what just a thoughtful, intelligent, and, you know, uh, just impressive person he was, uh, you know, to have a lot of appreciation for him. And so I like collecting some of his stuff. And so what I mostly collect are Kobe and, and LeBron. Oh, wow stuff you know looks they look cool together right look at that and they really do so you know i've had the lebron for a while i've needed the kobe and so to be able to unite those and then the the other thing is when i collect these i have a few that are graded but like the vast majority of them are raw and i really kind of prefer them raw so the kobe i'm thinking i'm gonna crack out you know the the winner always is psa Mm -hmm. right like they it's brand new cert right they just mm-hmm. created the thing but it's uh it's gonna be freed from its holder here pretty soon because i i just i like having them in one touches i like being able to to take them out and you know we were talking about the raw vintage cards before but i think these refractors look just super cool raw as well so um that was my recent kobe pickup that i'd been after for quite a while and glad to pair it both of these i think are they're numbered to 9.99 so they're not you know low number but um but yeah pretty pretty so, cool from when they're so, overlapped yeah yeah so i think i i mean i would also say that you're probably do you find yourself buying modern cards with a vintage eye in the sense that you know i'm looking at the screen right now at your kobe it looks so sharp it looks it looks amazing right and i feel like it's shocking to me that it's an eight to be honest right 
Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Like I would never pay the premium for a 10, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, and maybe that's my vintage predisposition, right? Like we like to collect our favorite grade is 1.5, right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, twos and threes are great, but yeah. So, I mean, honestly, if I could have found this in like a six or a seven, that probably would have been optimal because invert as long as it's centered and this one is really nicely centered. It just, it just doesn't look different. And I collect it because I like to look at it. Like, you know, I guess if it was a pure investment, maybe I would want a 10, but over time, I also feel like that gap between some of the lower grade stuff and the tens, just because it doesn't make any sense to me intuitively is has to continue to go down. So yeah, totally. Like, you know, any, if anything was too high of a grade for this, which most modern collectors I'm sure would scoff at yeah so. they'll like 10 or bust <laughs> yeah, right exactly yeah yeah so all right awesome. yeah so i think we were gonna do uh you know wrapping up here probably fairly soon but a, a slabbed uh vintage card we'd done raw ones before so did did you want to kick us off there yeah. i sure i'll kick us off on that one so here's one where i'm, I'm dipping my toe and design vintage Gosh. So, um, this, um, I've kind of been, you know, I've been pretty hesitant to jump into the signed, uh, vintage pool. I mean, it's gotten so hot lately and I've always been a little bit of a purist when it comes to, um, you know, putting signatures on cards, especially these, these vintage ones. But I was thinking it would be fun to have one in my collection. And when I was thinking about it, you know, obviously like Ernie Banks is my guy, so you know, let's do an Ernie Banks. And I was trying to think about like, which Ernie Banks cards would look cool with an autograph. And, you know, the first one that came to my mind was 58 tops because I love the image of him. I love the huge, like Ernie Banks lettering above his head. And, you know, Ernie Banks has so many, he just looks pretty awesome. Like in all of his cards. And I feel like the 58 really stands out to me. So, um, when I saw this one was interesting cause it, it just popped up on eBay um, and, you know, I was um, bidding in the auction and then in one of the random Facebook groups that I'm in, that's like a, like a Cubs focused one, the person like posted it there and was like, Hey, I'm open to like, you know, taking it down if I can work out like an, a good deal, you know, off of eBay without fees. And I was like, you know, we talked price for a little while and quickly got to something that I thought was really reasonable. Mm. So yeah, this is, um. I'm really happy. Like the, the card itself is so sharp. It is really nice. <laughs> so the autograph is probably not perfect. For, I mean, it's a 10 autograph, but like I like to use my eyeball and not necessarily just trust what PSA says. And for me, this Ernie Banks autograph looks okay. Like it's pretty good, but the card was just shockingly nice for a 58. And, you know, this is a point that, you know, Maddie C and a lot of the people who also collect signed vintage talk about is just how rare these cards are. So I think this is like, a, if I want to remember right, I think it might be like top 21 or something like that total. Um, I'm considering, you know, it's graded authentic right now for the card itself. It looks, it doesn't look like it was messed with to me. So I'm considering taking the chance and, you know, sending it in for the dual grade. Nice. Because um, I think the card itself is, it's, 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 it's really sharp. It, I have a 6.5 of that one. And this is, this is nice. There's no creases or wrinkle that no surface, real surface flaw. No, 
Yeah. It's yeah. Sharp. I'm personally, I would, I would agree. I I love to have the actual grade on the card. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel there's, I just kind of like knowing it it doesn't, it shouldn't really matter. Certainly for anything I send in, I just, I just kind of feel like the authentic is a little bit of a cop out or almost right. Yeah. Yeah. It is. (laughs) Um, But man, that card is, is just gorgeous. Like you, I mean, centered, bright, like the, the auto just hops against that yellow background. There are so many of them that, you know, the auto kind of fades in or there's a facsimile auto. So, you know, it kind of gets jumbled up with the, the real auto or dark background. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that just, that, that's a really beautiful comment and, you know, matches the Cubs cap nicely. And that that's aesthetically just a gorgeous card. Yeah. Really appreciate that. And a lot of the things that you said, that's exactly what went into my thinking for, you know, if I am going to get an in-person signed Ernie Banks, what card should it be? Right. Yeah. It was like, what card can hold an autograph? Well, where it'll pop pretty well. And so that's where I was like 58 tops and then boom, there it was. So that was another card that I bought just before the national. So I actually arrived at the national with essentially like very little money to spend on any cards because i had you know made you know i picked up that dimaggio and all this other stuff so right that was mine that was my card what yeah, do you got that's awesome man um yeah and 50 i love that 58 set that that's actually kind of the last set that i really sort of collect pretty heavily that that's sort of my cutoff and mm. it might be a little sooner if i didn't like that set so much <laughs> i just think it one of the and that banks is just so so nice um so yeah, so mine is uh, this Ooh. card. I know you saw it uh, at the National as well. So I, I got it in hand for the first time at the National a couple weeks ago. I had bought it a few months prior, but I'd had it sent to the PWCC vault where where it sat for a few months. And since I've had it in hand, it's like it's a card that I just have not like been able to take my eyes off or take off my desk. I, the Cracker Jack cards I've enjoyed for a while, um, but I feel like my, and this is a 1.5, our, our classic grade. So uh, <laughs> I feel like my appreciation for these these CJs just keeps growing with time. And I've, I love the look of this portrait. Um, you know, I feel like that, you know, we talk about like what's our sort of ultimate grail card. And I really enjoy collecting um, Christy Mathieson for for a lot of reasons. Um, and for me, you know, among my like ultimate maybe possibly attainable, but probably not grail would be his 1914 Cracker Jack. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. The horizontal card, which is incredibly rare. Um, you know, a lot of people have the shoeless Joe, but I, I like really enjoy collecting Maddie and that card is you know, so hard to come across. I think it's just a beautiful card. So I, I'd actually rank that one above the shoe list. But for now, the 15 is doing just fine. You know, I'm really enjoying this card. I have the 14 Walter Johnson. And so, you know, pairing those two cards together is, has been something that I've really enjoyed in my collection. So I waited a long time to get this one in hand. I've had it for a few weeks now. It'll be going off to my bank vault pretty shortly. So, you know, I keep most mm-hmm. of my cards there. But, um, but yeah, having this one has has really been a lot of fun. And, you know, it's the the 1.5, but it's mostly a 1.5 because it has that kind of, you know, like pretty even wear. It clearly has 
you know, has experienced some things and it's hundred plus years, but that surface and the image of Maddie is just so nice and so clean. So, um, yeah, lo- love the way it looks and been enjoying the heck out of this one over the last few weeks. Nate, Nate, that card is absolutely perfect for you. It's, it's also, it would also be perfect for me. <laughs> I mean, what I love about it is that like, you know, it's a 1.5, but it's, it looks gorgeous, right? Yeah, there's like, even in the corner where it's so even. I mean, you know, amazingly, in 1915, people weren't putting cards in top loaders, right? So, like, this card survived in somebody's pocket. Who knows, you know, where it was, but it, it, it's in magnificent shape. And there's something both really special about Cracker Jacks, like the strong red background, the Cracker Jack ball players at the top. I mean, it's such a beautiful set. And then um, for both 1914 and 1915, but then also Maddie, right? He's, he's such a special guy and um, such a dominant player. You know, he was, of course, like, you know, his nickname was the Christian gentleman, right? He was kind of like in an era of ball players where kind of ball players were considered kind of ruffians, right? They were, these weren't people that a lot of like, hot like fathers wanted their daughters to marry right they're kind of like ruffians they live this kind of a vagrant lifestyle from going to town to town but then you've got matthewson right he was a very like learned and and well-spoken individual and i think that he's certainly one of the most collectible guys from that era and this card that you have here is it's frankly it's spectacular it's 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 absolutely stunning it's a gorgeous card congratulations on that thank you I appreciate that. And well said about Maddie. Yeah, I think he was, you know, one of the first guys, you know, first superstars that was really like, you know, nationally admired by the the U.S. public at large. Right. Was, like you say, he was just he was such a great, you know, you have stories about him where like you'd have a close play at the plate and the umpire would ask Maddie if the guy was safe or out. And he would. Tell him, right. <laughs> the like honest Abe kind of stories with this guy and stuff. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, no, so so well said, man. And you know, one of the one of the interesting things about these fifteens, and I have no idea why this happened. I'm not sure anybody knows why exactly this happened, but the backs are upside down, right? On fourteen, they're, uh, you know, they're the right way, but on the mm-hmm. fifteen, they're upside down. So yeah, you know, the write ups on these are pretty fun. Um, Do you know but- if? Is the write-up this... Because, you know, Maddie's one of the few players that has... The 15 looks different than the 14. Right. Is the write-up the same? I'm not sure, but I think so. Okay. That's a really good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would need to, to check that to confirm, but I'm I'm pretty sure they are the same. Yeah. That's a stunner. Look at that. It's an amazing guard. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um so yeah uh i think we're probably getting pretty close to wrapping up here i know we said we'd probably been around an hour or so but i think we're we're pushing closer to 90 minutes basketball card paradise joined what's up man yeah thank you i appreciate that um so yeah you know we have these big auctions going on i think they're probably getting pretty close to wrapping up here as as we head toward midnight um so yeah gonna go check out how those went you know timing was good tonight i think we were both sitting those out uh which certainly is not always the case but (laughs) there were a couple yeah 
I, I tend to really love the um the lot G, the the love of the game auctions. Al over there, I think, does a you know, a really great job. He's a really good guy. I, mm-hmm. I like their website a lot. I I've gotten, you know, some of my favorite cards from their auction. So I'm always really interested when he has one come up. So I'm gonna be and there are a couple really nice cards over there. There's a E ninety one Cy Young. Oh and I love that yeah. one. Yeah. And then the E92 Dockman, Chrissy Mathewson, um, which that horizontal, like it's just a gorgeous card. And if my timing was a little bit different, I might have been bidding on one or both of those, but um, but not the case tonight. So any uh, any last thoughts, man? No, I mean, I guess the only thing I want to leave off with was that, you know, I hope that people who, who joined us had, a, you know, enjoyed the, the conversation. Our hope is that you know, we're able to kind of continue these on a somewhat regular cadence, maybe not every week, but, you know, a nice target might be once a month or so. And, you know, we've got a lot of, um, I mean, both Nate and I have a lot of, you know, different kind of vintage buddies that we would love um, to have join us in these conversations. But, you know, I think it's all about um, finding a way to to share our passion for, you know, these, these, this part of the hobby that, that really is very special. And, um, I hope that that people enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun for me. I love, you know, we didn't share which cards we were going to show ahead of time. So I think that's always fun to like see, you know, what Nate's going to choose. And I had a blast. And um, yeah, it's been really fun. What about you? Any final thoughts from you? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's incredibly well said, man. Totally agree with all that. And yeah, just thank you to everyone who has, you know, stopped by and joined us for all of it or a part of it. And you know, participated in the comments. And yeah, Matthew, as, as always, you know, love talking cards with you, man. We, we spend a lot of time doing it and having a chance to do it, you know, live here is, is a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm sure we'll be in touch soon and look forward to doing another one of the, these with you, you know, probably month sometime in September. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And definitely thanks for all the comments we got i I wrote some of them down we kind of like ran out of time to to talk through all of them and you know hopefully as we get going more and more into this it can be um we can keep up the the interaction level i think that would be really spectacular yeah but yeah thanks so much nate yeah happy collecting man all right thank you guys see you later this has been a production of rough cuts we'll see you next time